Hi, my name is Claire Vincent, and I'm the host of House Call, an Affinity Strategies podcast. In episode 14, Medicine and Technology, Don Nelson and I talk about, among other topics, the impact of technology advances on healthcare. We discuss what the government affairs group at a company like Magellan Health does to ensure the interests of the payers are looked after by state and federal legislatures, the power of storytelling in the politics of healthcare, some key legislative activity, and the incredible advances technology has made in healthcare for patients. Before we get started, a bit about Don. Since 2017, he has served as Vice President of Government Affairs for the Midwest region for the Magellan Health Enterprise. Prior to joining Magellan, Don spent 13 years with the University of Wisconsin-Madison as the Director of State Relations and later as Chief of Staff for the Chief Information Officer. Don has extensive experience as a legislative staffer in Wisconsin and spent a combined 23 years serving in the U.S. Air Force, Air Force Reserve, and the Wisconsin Air National Guard. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Don. Hi, Don. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. I really appreciate the invitation. Uh, well, it is a pleasure to have you. Pleasure to have you. So I know you have uh, lots of great information to share with us today. So if you don't mind, we're going to go ahead and dive right in. I am wondering if you could tell us a little bit about Magellan Health and what a day in the life of the VP of Government Affairs entails. Well, I will tell you the company is a lot more exciting than a day in the life of what uh, Government Affairs does. But uh, um, what's exciting about, uh, about what I do and really about the company in general, it's really designed around and the company's DNA is behavior health. It's helping those who need help in a lot of other areas of their uh, of their uh, of their well-being, and particularly the mental health side, and mm-hmm. a behavior health approach is so important to our overall health that uh, um, a company uh, built around those ideals to really ensure that that of an individual's wellness is addressed is so important. And uh, I'm fortunate to be able to manage. Uh, our government affairs uh, um, enterprise because it's all about making sure that the payers are ma- are are addressing the needs of our members. Mm-hmm. And in, in the in the case of payers, I'm, primarily we're talking Medicaid, um, uh, which is what our company does a lot of in the managed care space. Medicaid, there's some Medicare, there's some exchange lives uh, from the ACA. We have employer lives uh, as well, but I would say the primarily public sector or public uh, market component of what what the payer universe is, is who Magellan Health works with. And Mm. the government affairs entity, you know, make sure that there's continuity with the contracts that we have with states, with counties, with with other entities, um, health plans. We make sure that legislation that is either complementary or hurtful to our uh, to our business is addressed directly in the capitals where they're at, and it's a it's a very much a state level approach. Um, we manage our government affairs on a state by state basis, and I oversee those states, and we have uh, folks in each one of those states who are able to address it specifically, and of course the federal end. You know, there's always a never ending. Um, stream of uh, rules and regulations and federal legislation that address Medicare, Medicaid, 
um, and everything in between regarding the healthcare industry. And so mm -hmm. a day in a life is just balancing uh, 50 states that we have business in and everything that happens inside the Beltway in D.C. Oh, my gosh. I would imagine that is uh, quite complicated at times, considering the, the number of potential stakeholders um, that you have to balance interests against, much less keeping kind of track of everything that's going on. Um, so thank goodness for, for your role at Magellan <laughs> to, 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 well, to be able to handle you, those. You know, a really essential piece of this is, you know, is making sure that, that you know, we have the best insight uh, in the states that we can get. Um, I, I'm based in Madison. Um, and, uh, you know, Madison, Wisconsin is a great place to be based. You know, there's a lot of action that happens here. But there's a lot of activity in Springfield, Illinois, in Helena, Montana, Salt Lake City, in Atlanta, Tallahassee. Sure. So all of, you know, Austin, Texas. And when I think about what's happening in each one of those states, they're all coming back in the session right now with the legislature. They all have a slightly different take on how, you know, they would address health care in their states, uh, uh, you know, in, in various shapes or forms. So what's important uh, for government affairs at the corporate level is to ensure you have folks on the ground in each one of those states that really help you understand what's happening there. And it's sometimes it's an internal person, and I have a couple internal people that are housed within Magellan Health that manage regions. Mm -hmm. But what's most important is you find those folks who are actually embedded in those cities, mm -hmm. um, embedded in, into those states. So they uh, they would be... Um, consultants, contract lobbyists, uh, you know, uh, folks not not unlike Affinity, you know, Affinity Strategies. I hire a lot of companies like that in various states because they're the ones that are most in tune with what happens in those states. I can't begin to think about how I would be embedded into Cheyenne, Wyoming, yeah. unless we had somebody in Cheyenne, Wyoming, that is going to the to the coffee shops and the grocery stores, and they're seeing the people on a daily basis that one would normally see in a capital city. And that's where the relationship part of government affairs is super important. And mm -hmm. then it builds from there. Oh, interesting. Really interesting stuff. Don, how did you become interested in healthcare? Well, I'll tell you, I kind of looked at healthcare from afar when I was working uh, in the legislature. And then I went to work at the University of Wisconsin. We had a little bit of healthcare, mainly on the research side, that uh, that I would uh, advocate uh, for and, and educate legislators on. Um, but I had some peers uh, in in the healthcare world that were internal in-house legislators or in-house uh, legislative affairs folks, which is what I was at the university. Um, it was a passing interest. I liked the idea of representing a singular entity and a singular topic. And um, I, had a, uh, I had a colleague of mine, one of those um, firms that I talk about that, uh, that are really embedded and, and, and helping com companies uh, um, fly their flag, um, asked me if I'd be interested in a job in healthcare. And I said, no, because I don't know anything about it. Mm. And he says, well, just, just give me a run and give, and, and, and give me a chance. And so I did. I gave him a resume. And next thing I know, I was being hired. For this job, and when I really get into it pretty quickly, I realized that uh, behavior health 
is something that, you know, I've seen as a father with, I have a special needs son. Um, the company had some long-term services and support business that I had been very uh, um, uh, integrated with, with, with my son for a number of years. So I realized mm-hmm. this was the way that I can contribute. Um, I don't have a science background. I have a business background. I, mm-hmm. I you know, I, I, I'm not a clinician. And, you know, and I had this kind of, kind of, kind of brain lock that if you were going to be in the healthcare world, you had to be from that clinical side of the, uh, of the ledger. And I, and I realized that my own lived experience and my personal experience can really help what I can offer the company, which is my government affairs experience. And mm-hmm. that's what the company needed. I definitely had a learning curve to understand how to payers work, how does Medicare work, how does Medicaid, you know, all the, uh, the insurance regulations, but that was achievable. That was studying and just uh, reading up and understanding, but understanding the value of behavior health, I saw to my own household. And mm-hmm. I really believe that is what is, uh, brought me here and what keeps me here because I think healthcare uh, uh, for the whole person health is so important. Wow. You know, thank you so much for, for sharing your story. And, you know, quite often on, on our shows, we, we talk with guests who have been able to tie, you know, something about their personal life to what they are pursuing now as a professional. And I think that you have like other guests have done just a beautiful job of being able to to demonstrate that um, for for our listeners and it's it's super inspiring so thank you thank you so much for sharing that well I appreciate that and I, I'll just be clear it wasn't purposeful it was sure. almost accidental because I just didn't know where I can contribute and what you know the realization was the aha moment I guess was Realizing that, you know, in, in our world, in the, in the government affairs world, in the political world, um, there's, a, there's a former governor, Tommy Thompson, used to always say, <laughs> legislators and politicians live and, and communicate in stories. Mm-hmm. All we have to do is give them better stories. And when mm. I think about those stories, I think about the story of when my son was getting cancer treatment when my son later on had, had epilepsy and had a couple surgeries. And, and I think about the entire process and the environment that we've navigated through from, you know, from initial days of cancer to now, you know, um, LTSS, long-term care and support. I, I feel like those are real stories that parents and guardians and, and family members can tell about the healthcare system that can influence policy in a way that, you have firsthand knowledge of understanding some of these issues. And I feel really fortunate in a way to be able to have that personal experience. But yeah, I didn't know how to seek it. It was, you know, it's, <laughs> it's overwhelming enough <laughs> to be a caretaker and to manage your own health care, um, to be an advocate for, you know, for a company within an industry. You know, that's a, I think it's a pretty special mission and, I, and I'm fortunate to have that. So. Well, we are all fortunate that you have it. So thank you so, so much for that. Don, I thought we could start off with a healthcare legislative update, as well as maybe some key activity that is on the horizon. Would you mind sharing some of that with us? You bet. 
You know, one of the things that we've seen a lot in, uh, in healthcare is we've seen everything from advances to changes in how um, payment works. And when I say payment, I, I'm talking about the entire uh, array of healthcare. Um, you know, there's private paying, you know, which is the commercial side that, that, mm -hmm. that your traditional employer plans or self-funded plans that tend to not have a lot of regulation attached to it. It's growing, but it's, uh, um, there's, there's not a ton of regulation uh, attached to that. And then you get into the health plan world where there are group plans or managed care plans that have a variety of whether, you know, whether they're employers that are members of this group plan or you have just your standard Medicare, Medicaid, you know, um, healthcare marketplace, uh, the Affordable Care Act. And there's a lot of mandates and insurance requirements and a lot of uh, just the tapestry of, of, of regulations that, uh, that are attached to that. The mm -hmm. trends we've been seeing is um, really tied around access. Access is super important to ensure that whether it's Medicaid individuals that have uh, uh, that that the states and the federal government are increasing the ability for folks to be able to tap into that. We're seeing um, trends that that states would allow um, individuals to buy into Medicaid plans, very similar to what we've seen on the ACA plans um, that uh, that came through uh, um, after that was passed when uh, when President Obama was in, was in office. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. And then we've seen just greater ability, greater requirements on access uh, that that states are really requiring health plans that are managed in their state or the regulated regulated in their state to provide coverage for certain things, and that's really uh, dips into the mandate area, which has always been. Uh, I wouldn't say it's a trend; it's a reality <laughs> in the healthcare world. You know, mm -hmm. mandates for everything um, that. Uh, you know that are either emerging issues uh, um, or just issues that uh, that just society accepts should be covered under some element of uh, uh, of our healthcare coverage. Um, I can get into COVID in a minute because that's really given us quite a bit of changes in that world. I'd say the yeah. other trend really gets into technology, and I think that is really the most fascinating component of what we're looking at here within the healthcare trend and what legislators are starting to think about. Um, as an offshoot of that, uh, I'll talk in the mental health parity, which is something that the federal government approved more than 10 years ago that requires mental health coverage be uh, covered at the same level, exact same level as, uh, uh, as physical health coverage. Um, we're still growing into what parity looks like because mental health coverage in some circles is more of an abstract kind of you know, practice that uh, mm -hmm. we are really learning and understanding. But the exciting part and what we're seeing from legislatures now and the bills that I'm seeing come out of COVID is how do we utilize technology in a better way across the board in order to make sure that individuals have access because access is still key and number one. Mm -hmm. um, and then how do we have affordable options where you don't have that kind of access in Great Falls, Montana, as an example, or Rhineland, sure. Wisconsin, you know. Sure. And so that's where we think the technology bridge is, is getting this there. And COVID has really helped us get there. That's great. That's great. 
Affinity Strategies is a full-service nonprofit healthcare associate management and stakeholder firm. They use digital-first solutions to promote transparent, efficient business practices. They partner with each client organization to maximize both staff and client expertise, experience, and relationships to meet goals. To learn more about Affinity Strategy Services, the team, and the mission-driven work they have done and continue to do, visit their website at affinity-strategies.com. So, Don, you were just talking a little bit about uh, technology innovation in healthcare. Wondering if you can maybe expand on that and, in particular, talk about the advantages of it for patients, healthcare providers, and insurance companies. You know, telehealth has been here, and, and that's, that's an element of, uh, of technology, and I really say that is, um, you know, that's kind of been around for a long time when you think about mm-hmm. telehealth. Um, it's, it's in the word telephone. I mean, that's, uh, you know, yeah. we, we've had telephones for more than a hundred years, you know, and so utilizing some element of voice, um, diagnosis, I mean, if you think about, uh, just the name of your podcast, uh, house call, yeah. house call, yeah. you know, telehealth is really just an iteration of the doctor coming with the bag to your house, you know, and, uh, and, um, and so telehealth is that more of a personal, um, yet more convenient element um, to how we deliver healthcare. But it really, you know, morphed into what we know today in terms of the, uh, the technology basis of telehealth. I mean, if you think about where society is at with regard mm-hmm. to technology, um, there's a Gallup survey that, uh, that we participated in that uh, uh, tells us things we already know. 97% of Society, you know, a U.S. adult have a cell phone, you know, mm. 85% of them own a smartphone, you know, whereas 15% rely on that smartphone for Internet access. So we clearly are, are, are connected society. You know, when we look at, um, you know, meeting adults where they would, where they want to consume their services to include health care, 81% of adults prefer more digital self-service options, and and of that, 15% they, they express the high satisfaction with the current tools. And when I say current tools, that's just the basic stuff that we have out there now. It's getting better every single day, mm. you know. And, and I would say, you know, when when we talk about what's what's out there, there are more than 20,000 mental health apps that are in the mental health category. There's a lot of them that are out there that, uh, you know, address small pieces and parts of of mental health, Um, but less than 1% of them claim an evidence-based framework. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, and then one-tenth of 1%, they publish their evidence for efficacy. So when I say that there's a lot out there and I say that there's, you know, quite a bit of access to those technology tools, um, and, and the satisfaction, we're still in the very much in infancy of mm-hmm. what these tools are really designed to do and how, and how effective they are. But, but let's talk about telehealth in, in and of itself. The way it's structured right now, we see very much a focus on, um, on telephone and video um, mm-hmm. utilizations. And mm-hmm. that is actually one of the things that uh, that 
legislatures are grabbing are grabbing onto now because there is definitely a desire to do that. Um, they know it, it crosses the rural urban kind of boundary and, and then really the network deficiency things that uh, um, barriers that, that we know exist. When we look at uh, commercially insured telehealth users, um, mm -hmm. you know, it's obviously um, we, uh, we see a much higher propensity in the 18 to 29 range, 44% of that age group use uh, telehealth. Uh, these are commercially insured folks. Uh, wow. um, and it goes down, you know, 42% for 30 to 44, 39% for 49 to 59. And of course, 60 plus, it's about uh, 34%. But mm. here's what I found interesting amongst all age groups, female, 50%. Whereas males were 31%, and so females, hmm. at least in this uh, in this uh, survey that uh, that our America's Health Insurance Plans, uh, the largest uh, health plan trade uh, group, um, commissioned in December, um, big uh, gender disparity uh, disparity when yeah. it comes to utilization of that. Um, and then, uh, and then, and then there's it's pretty equal amongst uh, race and eth ethnicity, anywhere from 34 to 41 percent. As that's broken down, there is there's a desire to access more of it. Um, COVID really put that on uh, put that on a faster track. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you know, and I'm sure you've talked to other guests that really have talked about the COVID effect. But in the telehealth area, and then I can get into some of the other tech uh, after. It's really fed us up quite a bit, actually. Mm -hmm. And Don, do you think that telehealth would not have advanced as much but for the pandemic? I think it wouldn't have advanced as fast. You know, uh -huh. there's a uh, economist uh, from Stanford that uh, I went to one of her seminars last uh, two weeks ago. Um, uh, Marcy Rossi is her name. And uh, she talked about how COVID advanced the entire country digitally workforce-wise, healthcare-wise, 10 years. 10 and years. she said, we were, on, we were on our way, clearly. And if we had not had been essentially wired to work from home to increase telehealth visits, we would not have been prepared to do what we did three years ago. Mm -hmm. And she talked about, as an economist, uh, you know, they, they did some surveys. They said that 2% of our nation's GDP was spent on preparing for this new environment. There was a massive investment in 2020 wow. Wow. in order to kind of get us, you know, to, you know, to get us to be able to use the infrastructure that we already knew existed. And that was what got us through. And now what they're seeing is that there's a little bit of a fall off yeah. um, because you've seen all the tech firms that are laying folks off. Mm-hmm. Well, those mm -hmm. investments that were made were made. And so the life cycle of a tech investment tends to be three to five years, depending on what you're investing in. And so that's why we're seeing the drop off in, uh, in tech, whereas we're not seeing it in other segments of the economy, definitely not mm -hmm. in healthcare. Mm -hmm. But what, 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 she, what she really kind of focused on was whether it's work from home and how we are now changing how the workforce demographics look physically and, and virtually and, and healthcare, uh, how it's delivered, we definitely were advanced uh, 
She says 10 years into the future. I would say we're on our way there, a little faster pace on, on telehealth and, and, and technology and healthcare than we were with the workforce. Mm-hmm. Because what, what we're doing in telehealth is we were overcoming some gaps that were really hard to close network adequacy in rural areas. We were sure. uh, uh, in, the, in the behavior health space, which is massive, is, is we, were, we were helping remove the stigma of behavior health treatment by giving a little bit of anonymity to treatment options through technology. Mm-hmm. And that in and of itself is the largest breakthrough what we see as a company and in, 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 in technology health, because this now allows somebody in the comfort of their own living room, their own bedroom to seek treatment and know that that treatment is with, with them and their provider. They're not driving to, you know, a facility and are going into a waiting room. They're not, you know, there's just a lot of things that, that aren't associated with that. Now on the back end with the providers and the reimbursements and the administrative portion of it. That's lagging a little bit. We need to figure mm-hmm. that out. Mm-hmm. But I would say the utilization we have found to be uh, just in the basic person-to-person, eyeball-to-eyeball, that's where telehealth has advanced us tremendously, not to mention cognitive behavior health therapy that we're seeing through certain evidence-based applications that are that are really starting to come out. So, Oh, wow. That's, that's really great. That's really great to hear. You know, aside from, you know, the bill, uh, bill backs that you just referenced, have there been any drawbacks to the advances of telemedicine? You know, I, I haven't seen any empirical um, evidence on this, but uh, mm-hmm. um, the drawbacks, what happens to these physical facilities or what happens mm-hmm. or how, do, how does the access happen when there are barriers placed in front of it? For instance, there are um, certain states that are looking at certain states that require physical um, uh, in-person meetings before you embark in a telehealth uh, mm. um, engagement. Some of these happen in the SUD space uh, and the substance use disorder space where there may be a, a, a greater evidence of um, a recovery through a mixture of, mm. uh, of that. And so that's the accountability factor that often comes along. Um, even though people say that they prefer a much uh, telehealth environment, we've mm-hmm. met a recent study kind of talked about 69% um, said they, uh, uh, they prefer it over an in-person appointment. There are still people who, you know, want to see their doctor in person. So Sure, sure. And I would imagine um, a battle that is, that is ongoing is, is just the, 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 occasional or maybe more than occasional um, difficulties with internet connection in, in rural parts of, of yes. the country. Yeah. And that's, a, and that's actually a big component of what we look at in legislation. We feel like, uh, and, and those within the industry think uh, voice only um, is mm-hmm. a viable option because of the, um, of the broadband deserts that exist out there. You know, um, and then, you know, we're also seeing the other challenges are in the uh, prescription uh, drug space. Um, yeah. While there are, there are um, viable um, um, virtual prescription drug uh, practices that are utilized, there are some that are not. 
<laughs> you know, we've seen <laughs> some stories, you know, about about certain entities that, uh, you know, that are prescribing in, in, in large quantities and the clinical path to that prescription is uh, is not your traditional path that you would you would see. So I think those are some challenges that um, the public policy space is really starting to embrace right now and take a look at. So. Yeah, uh, well, much needed considering the over-prescribed uh, society that we live in. Um, it's it's good that that maybe indirectly telehealth is is also shining a light on on that. That's great. That's great to hear. Yeah. So, Don, wondering um, if you wouldn't mind speaking to some other hot areas of healthcare technology. Well, one of the things that uh, we're finding in the behavior health space is the engagement on, on telehealth um, just through your traditional visits has spurred a lot of interest in, well, what else can we get done, you know, mm. uh, through technology? And, uh, yeah, we've seen a lot of advances even prior to COVID. You know, member portals are a big thing, you know, and so mm-hmm. if we have uh, – you know, we have a lot of uh, segments of our life where we're, you know, where we're doing, you know, stuff over, uh, over technology. Portal's a nice place to have everything, you know, collected, whether it's, uh, you know, whether we use shopping portals, whether we use, you know, portals, uh, portals for, for travel or, you know, having a lot of resources in one space under a single login is really something that, uh, that, is, that healthcare has jumped on as well. And a lot of uh, a lot of healthcare plans that are out there have these portals. You know, so you can do your appointments, you can pay your bills, you can do a lot yeah. of those things. Well, yeah. what we're finding is the stickiness, which is a term that uh, that that a lot of these tech companies like to use, of those mm-hmm. individuals in the portal, very high. And so, how do we kind of get uh, you know provide some other things that are you know maybe personalized recommendations mm-hmm. for their dashboard? <clears throat> What are some things based on their healthcare information, based on their uh, their their um, their preferences that uh, that we can make sure that they have an access to an understanding? Um, you know, the uh, the large percentage of health uh, um, plan members access very little of their health uh, care membership. Actually, um, we uh, we have we have a product uh, um, in the employee assistance program that we offer to companies and three to four percent is the utilization rate of that and it's health and wellness and counseling and and whatnot so kind of your lighter side of the behavior health side but the penetration and utilization is rather small Mm -hmm. um because um you know whether it's inconvenient whether people just don't think about it and it's not you know if you're triaging your health care it's not a broken arm. <laughs> so that's they're right. not going in. So, and so sometimes people don't think about those until they need them. So how do we make sure that we give fast and easy access to care and benefit offerings, you know, allow them to configure their resources and, you know, and, and you know, market, you know, their configure their services by segments or, um, and integrate it with other solutions that we might have. Um, and we have found that the personalization is something that, People really, really enjoy not just learning their eligibility and their benefits and their claims, you know, information, but what are some BH things like cognitive behavior health tools that that we could see that they uh, could benefit from? Mm-hmm. You know, one of the uh, one of the things that uh, was was really the first in this industry is a smoking cessation. That really was super groundbreaking, and we're going back ten years. 
where, you know, there was some cognitive behavior health therapies to help people quit smoking. Super mm-hmm. effective. Um, mm-hmm. We've seen this in the weight loss uh, world as well. Um, again, mm-hmm. you think about behaviors and, and, and how behavior therapy works, you know, um, technology is, uh, is, is, is becoming an aid to where um, we've seen those, uh, those benefits uh, really uh, outweigh some of the, uh, um, the adherence issues that maybe physical appointments or even pharmaceuticals in both of those spaces couldn't do. Yeah. So, um, and so those solutions are able to configure it to members' experiences and to really to members' personalization. Um, you know, we, we there's also, um, we've got one, and I forget the name of our, um, the app that we have, but we are working with uh, a firm in Massachusetts on the video gaming element of mm-hmm. uh, cognitive behavior therapy and helping provide that uh, to individuals with autism. But in a gaming kind of sense, you know, mm-hmm. uh, through technology that kids are able to kind of embrace based on based on the level of acuity that they have, whether it's through autism or, or, or some other behavioral health condition. And so those are the types of things that we have found that have been effective. Um, the mobile element of that makes it even uh, make, gives us a greater reach so we mm-hmm. can have greater penetration to individuals and even to those that might have technology and, and, and connectivity gaps because um, once they get it, then they can utilize it even if they're in the middle of nowhere because it's personalized and maybe on their own device. And so those are ways that we're, all, we're also trying to uh, bridge that, that communications gap as well or the connectiv- connectivity gap. So. Oh, those are really, really great ideas. I mean, between the, the personalization idea and you leveraging that to, to bring awareness of other services that, you know, people aren't even aware that they could have access to, to the, to the gamification, you know, everybody likes to have a little fun in the process of, um, of whatever they're learning about, right. Including themselves. So that, that's really, really cool. And, uh, gosh, I look forward to seeing the, the incredible impact of, of those ideas as they come to fruition. That's fantastic. So my last substantive question for you today, Don, is what can our listeners do to support tech innovations in healthcare? I would say keep asking for those innovations from, from their providers um, because the, really the biggest key to utilization of tech is you have to have a provider on the other side that is willing to utilize it themselves. Mm. Um, uh, and I, I will tell you that I think members, you know, and individuals that are consumers of healthcare tend to be a much higher level of acuity when it comes to technology than our providers are for a mm-hmm. lot of reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, some of it is just the aging of our provider workforce. Some of it is they're not trained in all this yeah. stuff, you know, in, yeah. in, you know, in, in their schooling necessarily. They're, it's starting to get there now, but uh, – um, they have to learn that in the field, and and it is in addition to their clinical expertise that they uh, uh, that they need to add to that, and 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 finally, there's a cost to all of that. You know, there's a cost yeah. of that technology. There's a cost of utilization of that, and and there's enough of I would say 
conversation about what rates need to be and the cost of healthcare to begin with, not even factoring in the additional elements of technology that uh, always are part of this conversation. Um, but I would say the one thing that providers are finding that are helpful is really on the element of adherence. When you look at, at drug adherence, you know, meaning are they taking their prescriptions when they need to, because we know that prevents, you know, that prevents future healthcare uh, um, incidents. Are they coming to their appointments when they're supposed to, particularly in the behavior health side, because we know the connection with the physical health. So when you look at the adherence component of this, providers love that, because what's the first thing they always ask you? You've been taking your medicine. You know, when was the last time you saw a doctor? When did you have labs? Um, and the one thing that we're finding in the tech space and the health plans like this too is to increase adherence is as, it's as low technology as you can imagine, but it's still technology. And it's really mm -hmm. messaging, text mm -hmm. messages, live messages, chats, these elements that can give you a text the day before you have an appointment allow you to change your appointment or cancel your appointment. And what that does, that has a net effect of helping access because now you don't have un unfilled appointments. It yeah. allows these providers to keep their appointments because that's important on the reimbursement. But more importantly, it reminds these individuals that they need to kind of adhere to their healthcare, you know, uh, their healthcare maintenance and yeah. messaging is something that is baked into all of us. And that is, that goes back 20, almost 25 years now. And that is as low tech as it comes, but it is the number one way that providers are helping individuals um, maintain their healthcare through technology. And in, in, a, in a lot of cases, that may be the only technology consumers are using. Yeah. And if that's all they wow. do, it's still an advance from where we were at. Oh, that's great. That's great advice. And, you know, and, and Don, I'm, I, I'm sure you have a, a similar personal story. I, I find, you know, the patient portals so incredibly helpful, uh, not only um, for all the reasons that you've said, but the sheer convenience of it. I mean, I don't know when the last time you called an office uh, to make an appointment, but you're you're likely to be on hold sometimes for you know yeah. twenty or thirty minutes simply to 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 make an appointment. So, the sheer convenience for for the end user, it's it's fantastic. It's really fantastic. Well, and it goes at the workforce gaps that exist out there. We have a yeah. massive workforce gap, and yeah. if you want to just talk about the entry level workforce gap with call centers alone, administrative support, whether it's in health plans or in provider offices. These portals really provide that kind of aid to that gap that exists mm -hmm. when they can't find those employers to fill those call centers. Um, it's getting better on the workforce side because now yeah. we've been able to get rid of 500 room call center, 500 person room call centers, <laughs> and allow uh -huh. those to go home and and, and work and and have uh, have that. But there's still never going to be enough. Simply just looking at the demographics. We just don't have right. enough people to fill that, the generational gap. And I'd say into the future, and we're starting to see this, is we're now putting together provider hubs. So those mm. individuals that work for providers can now utilize a hub, very similar, uh, very much like a portal for the members, so they can then interact with, they may have 
10 health plans that they're working with. And oh. so these provider hubs allow them to kind of separate that and really, you know, manage the reimbursements, manage the filings. Uh, you know, there are a lot of other elements that, uh, that we can put out there in a portal-like environment um, that really address both sides of the access issue in terms of administrative support. Oh, wow. What a, what a really innovative and, and helpful tool for those who are unfortunately sacked with trying to sort through plans and, and reimbursements and all of those other very technical at times administrative duties. That is a fantastic idea. That's great to hear. Great to hear. And I will tell you, this has been a happy conversation. I will tell you the one element that we're all looking out for and we're starting to surface is, is data protection, data yeah. integrity, privacy, those are all elements that come with a greater reliance on technology. Um, and, you know, we're addressing those as well. We're working with policymakers to, ins- to ensure that data is protected, it's private, and it's utilized in the, in, the, in the correct way. I'd love to be here and tell you that we, uh, we have the singular solution to all of it, but quite the tapestry of, of approaches yeah. that are going to have to be taken, and, we're, and that will evolve. Um, yeah. right alongside the technology. Yeah. Well, it's, it's great that that is also top of mind. Um, you know, I think most people don't think about those protections that are needed until they're part of a data breach. So it's, uh, it's great to hear that, um, that Magellan is, is thinking about that and, and know, uh, just like anything, right. You're going to have to evolve in that arena as technology evolves. That's fantastic. Yeah. It's fantastic. Absolutely. All right. We are to one of my favorite segments of, of each episode, and that is our lightning round questions. Don, are you ready? I am ready. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think. No, <laughs> no pressure. No pressure at all. <laughs> okay. Texting or talking? Talking. I know we talked a lot about tech, but I'm a talker. (laughs) Oh, favorite city in the U.S. besides the one you live in? New York City. There's never enough, never enough time in the city. Ah, yes. And by the way, you live in a great city, Madison, Wisconsin. So it is. It is the absolute best. Yeah. Yeah. A little yeah, cold today, it but it's the absolute best. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, that unfortunately is uh, not endemic to, to Madison, of course. That's that's just the Midwest, yeah. right? <laughs> you bet. Yeah. Uh, your childhood nickname? Deacon, as in Deacon in, in, in the Episcopal Church. Uh, my oh. grandparents would call me Deacon, and then my parents did as well. So. Oh, oh. My yeah. goodness. Does anybody still yeah. call you that? No, no, that uh, I have kind of uh, I have out, outgrown that and I haven't quite shared it with a lot of folks. I think you're probably the first person I've told it to in a number of years. So. Oh, my gosh. Well, I feel yeah. very honored. I feel very honored. <laughs> um, scale of one to ten, how good of a driver are you? I would say I was a ten. Everybody else says I'm a two. <laughs> <laughs> Don, Don, that's a very, very large disparity. (laughs) 
You know, I, I, I don't mind uh, saying everybody else is wrong, but uh, okay. uh, there, there's probably some truth in the middle, I'm sure. <laughs> oh, my gosh. How many cups of coffee do you drink a day? One to maybe a half. Uh, I, I don't drink a lot. so. Oh, my yeah. goodness. Well, good for you. Good for you. Do you believe in fate? Absolutely. Ah. Absolutely. Awesome. What's the best age? You know, uh, I'm 53. I would say 45 when I sit back and think about where I was in life and what I kind of felt like I had where I was headed. And that was a great age. So. Ah, very good. Very good. Is there such a thing as objective beauty? Not at all. Not at all. <laughs> I think the beauty is, uh, I think it comes in a lot of different forms. And frankly, I just think, uh, I think the age really helps us really rationalize what, you know, what real beauty is. And so, yeah. Is double dipping at a party ever acceptable? Never, never. Seinfeld <laughs> proved this. And, uh, and I, I don't know that that's why even a, uh, it's even a consideration. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. I love how seriously you took that question and your Seinfeld <laughs> reference. That is perfect. That is perfect. But then and Seinfeld, here, it's an irrefutable fact. It is. I mean, you know, Seinfeld proved it, right? Right? Yeah. I should just, I should just take that off my list of questions. So maybe I'll just have to redo those. Um, <laughs> here's my last one for you. If you could ask a higher power one question, what would it be? Oh, you know, that was a tough one. And I struggle with this one. I would say... Uh, um, is, is my brother behaving himself? Um, my brother passed a few years ago and that was a little bit of a, uh, rivalry between he and I about uh, whether we were, um, who was the better person. And so I would ask a, uh, <laughs> a higher power that very question about, uh, is, is oh. Damon uh, doing what he should? So. Oh, that's, that's a lovely question. <laughs> lovely question. And, um, <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry to hear about, about your brother's passing. You know, it's, it's just an element of our lives that as we get older, yeah. that's how we've had to learn to, you know, we've learned to cope with other things. And, uh, you know, and so that's, uh, that's, that's why I take away from that experience. Ah, uh, yes, yes. You, uh, you are a positive person and, um, that's a great question to, to ask about on behalf of your brother. Well, Don, you have been uh, a fascinating, interesting guest today and full of so much knowledge and great ideas. Really, really appreciate you sharing that with, with me and our listeners. I also wanted to thank you for, for your service. I know that you are a veteran of the Air Force, the Air Force Reserve, and the Wisconsin Air National Guard, and, and really wanted to be sure that I gave you my heartfelt thank you for, for your service to our country. Well, I appreciate your support, and uh, it, it, was, uh, it was a good run. So I was happy the military had me. So. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. And thanks so much, Don. Really appreciate it. And uh, maybe we can have you back uh, later this year, and you can give us a little update on uh, how things went in 2023 and what we can look forward to in 2024. I'd be happy to. I really appreciate the times. Lots of stuff happening in, in our sector as well. Now. You got it. You got it. Thanks again. 
Don shared an enormous amount of information about the importance of the trend we are seeing with respect to the legislation being introduced around the country to increase affordable and accessible health care. As Don explained, part and parcel to the affordability and accessibility is telehealth. The statistics Don referenced are indeed compelling and will hopefully only continue to grow in terms of payer adoption as well as expansion across healthcare, especially in behavioral health services. Don also spoke to the unfortunate barriers that persist with respect to telehealth, including the impact of broadband deserts. However, we discussed how voice options have been gaining traction. We also spent some time talking about other technology advances, including advances with patient portals as well as gamification utilization. Both appear very promising in terms of meeting individual needs. And lastly, as we often do on House Call, Don outlined a brief yet powerful ask of our listeners. He proffered that as patients, we need to continue to ask for more tech innovations from our healthcare providers. Pushing for innovation will continue to drive not only creativity, but also provider adoption. Both are needed to continue to make advances in healthcare technology. Today's episode was written and researched by me, Claire Vincent, with technical production provided by Derek Anderson and music from Caleb Justinger. Be sure to follow our series to stay up to date on new episodes. Share it with your friends, and if you enjoy what you are hearing, kindly give us a like. This helps us get the word out about our series. You can expect a new episode to drop sometime during the third week of each month. Thank you so much for listening to House Call and Affinity Strategies podcast. We appreciate you so, so much. I look forward to catching up with you again in just a few weeks. Thanks again for listening. This is Claire Vincent.